Blog Talk Radio. Welcome all truth seekers from across the globe. This is Reverend Karen L. Heasley from the Spiritual Path Church of Newcastle, Pennsylvania in the United States. Our truth seeker show covers a variety of subjects from angels to afterlife communication to parapsychology to spiritualism to near-death experiences to meditation and a number of other truth-seeking topics. We are happy you have chosen to join us for this episode and hope you find it informative, and enjoyable. Tonight's guest is Tom Cratsley. Tom has worked in the field of counseling, spiritual healing, and teaching for over 30 years and is the creator and developer of the restructuring method of accessing, releasing, and transforming unconscious resistant patterns. He is an ordained minister with Fellowship of the Spirit, and for the past 10 years, he has served as Associate Director of their School of Healing and Prophecy. Well, at Harvard Divinity School, Tom was inspired to direct his attention to matters of the human heart and the possibilities of growth and transformation through development of the spiritual dimensions of the heart. Since then, he has created numerous classes and workshops to support others in exploring the vast dimensions and extraordinary healing potentials of the heart. Tom lives with his wife, Ellie, and their daughter, Tara, in Lilydale, New York, where they operate Harmony House year-round as a guest house. After we talk to Tom, please call in, and if you have any comments or questions for him, the number to call is 657-383-383. 0416. I'll repeat that again. 657-383-0416. We will not have a chat room up tonight. We're having some technical difficulties, but please call in. Tom, it's a pleasure to have you tonight. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what drew you into spiritual healing. But first, I'd like you to explain spiritual healing because I'm sure some of our listeners really don't understand what it is. Yeah, to me, spiritual healing um, is about a state of consciousness. And it's that state that we seek to reach that's in balance with the universe. right? Being in harmony, being in balance with all life, ultimately, we talk about God, uh, the Creator, being as close to aligned and in harmony with God, the Creator, as you can, enables you to access energies that are useful uh, for healing and balance, um, for not only for yourself, but for others as well. Okay. So... Let me let me talk about my you know my beginning with this. In Lilydale, we have a, a place called the Healing Temple, and the Healing Temple twice a day all summer long has open healing services, 
where the healers will um, stand uh, next to a, a bench, and those assembled will come up when there's an opening in the bench, sit on the bench, and the healers will lay hands upon um, those who have come there, and there's a transfer of energy that takes place. Or at least that's the way in which we tend to think about it. I've come to a different understanding about it through the years. I think that actually what happens is, in real, in spiritual healing, is that a frequency of energy is accessed by the willingness of the healers to open themselves to a higher state of harmony. That is, an alignment with what and who they perceive the divine to be. And while in that state of consciousness, they're more attuned or they're closer to being attuned as well to the higher state of consciousness of the person they're working with. So what happens is that there's a a frequency match, if you will, that takes place. And it's a res- to me, it's much more of a resonance phenomena. So the high, the state of consciousness that the healer is in will encourage a resonance with the higher self, if you will, of the person they're working with or they're offering healing to. And that resonance um, makes it more likely that that person is going to come into alignment with their own well-being. And that's what causes or what, let's say, promotes the healing that does take place uh, in spiritual healing formats, whether it's one-on-one or whether it's what happens at the healing temple. It is that sense of resonance with a with a higher, more harmonious frequency that enables healing to take place. I hope I didn't go too far off in the scientific direction. No, that's, that's good. That's my understanding of it. No, that's good. Uh, and then now I want you to talk a little bit about yourself and how you were drawn to uh, spiritual healing. Well, for me, it started early. I had a, a very strong curiosity as a teenager about psychic phenomena, things of that nature, uh, reading Edgar Casey and, and, and the likes of that, and also things that, the, the, like the Rosicrucians. Um, in Buffalo, we had a, um, a theosophical library, and I would take the bus to the theosophical library where I, from where I lived um, on the west side of Buffalo. And um, actually, it was the Riverside uh, uh section of Buffalo, but I take a bus down to um, the Theosophical Library, and I'd read there, and I'd also um, attend lectures that that, that would have um, um, reasonably frequently, so that was my first, and then um, I, I continued to pursue the, the, the metaphysical um, track, uh, even in college, and I think I was a freshman in college when I first Attended a spiritualist church on the um, uh, on the Elmwood area uh, section of, of Buffalo, mm-hmm. uh, and it was run by a little old uh, English lady named Reverend Sandy Wendling. And Reverend Wendling was a pretty powerful um, person. She, even though she was like four. 
like 4'11", something like that in height. Just, you know, not very tall, but she had these piercing blue eyes and, um, and, and, and amazing personal energy around her. Very, uh, a very spiritual woman. I attended classes with her. And in her classes, what she did was um, she would go into a, a, a full trance. And a spirit being being would come through and deliver a lecture. Now these lectures were not very different from some of the metaphysical writings that I uh, I was reading, but there was something additional that took place, and it had to do with again we're talking about the resonance. It had mm-hmm. to do with the energy that was present. It most of what was taught was what we would call perennial philosophy, you know, all about, you know, do do unto others as you would have them do unto you, et cetera, et cetera. Many of the things that, you know, we've heard many times. However, when she was in trance delivering it, there was something that filled the room and reached us at a level that doesn't happen when you're just reading or when you're, um, when you're just discussing something. It, it reached us on these, you know, at your spiritual core, let's let's say that. Then what would happen is those lectures would be transcribed, and the next um, week's lesson, at the beginning, we would take terms reading a paragraph or two from the previous week's lesson, so we got it, another level of it, and then she would go into trance again, and another powerful... Um, teaching would come through. And again, I cannot stress this enough. I must say that the power of it was beyond the words. There was something that, that, that hit your spiritual core when you were there because of um, the presence of the spiritual being who was speaking through Reverend Wendling. Well, I think... Uh... When I listen to you say that, I think that she was um, lifting everybody up to a higher vibrational level in that room. And that's exactly what my experience was. Yeah. And so that was, that was to me that was powerful. So so anyway, so that was Reverend Wendling, and then um, also at my freshman year of college, um, I was part of a metaphysical coffee clutch uh, at the University of Buffalo. And we would talk about psychic phenomena and and uh, the paranormal and so on. And during one of our meetings, the um, the subject of Lilydale came up, and of course that was that was a subject for a road trip. So we all got into uh, cars and came out here one summer afternoon and uh, spent some time here in Lilydale. So that was my first introduction to Lilydale and also seeing and being exposed to the Healing Temple. Then the Healing Temple became my, you know, the the place I had to be every summer. From about, from the, let's say, the early 70s, um, really right up to present day, um, you know, having a family, I don't spend as much time there as I, I did when I was single. When I was single, I was there every service, twice a day, all summer long. And I even made, set my schedule so that I, even though I was living in Boston, I would make sure that I I, I had um, two months to come here and serve the temple. So that was, 
that was really where my, my, my the most important learning that has come to me has come through actually doing healing at the temple and in classes and doing it with with friends. That's, that's so that's that side of things. Now, and if you want me to talk about now, I can talk now. The, the, the other side is you you mentioned briefly and had to do with the um, um, the restructuring work. Yes, and I'd like that, you to talk about that. Yeah, that came when I I had um, I worked my way through college here uh, in, at the University of Buffalo, uh, mm-hmm. working in um, uh, a mental health facility in Buffalo. And I, I, I sort of gotten frustrated with some of what, what what was happening in the in the field of psychology, and the whole sense, at, certainly back then, is that really people couldn't change. It was really believed that once once your mind was developed in a certain way, there was very little hope that you could ever really change. But you know, you could kind of develop coping strategies to deal with things. And that just seemed way too dismal of uh, <laughs> a view of of who we are as human beings. And um, and I also, even though I um, Orthodox religion was not a draw for me, I knew that spirituality had an important part in in all of our um, uh, psychological makeup, if you will. You know, for each and every person, even if you thought of yourself as an atheist. So I um you know I, I sought to find ways that we could have fundamental deep and powerful change and transformation. And several of the things that that, that um influenced me were um uh there's a, a man by the name of Roberto Asagioli his teachings uh and he 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 developed a a process called psychosynthesis, and Asagioli was a contemporary of Carl Jung's, and he had a similar transpersonal approach to psychology, which I appreciated. And he said, like a lot of that, the the mind is divided into these three parts: the self-conscious, the subconscious, and the superconscious. And one thing he said that was very powerful, um, and it stuck with me to this day. He said that the way to the superconscious, which is the higher self and the, the soul and all, is through the subconscious. And the subconscious is where we hold all of our heavy stuff and so on. And that made a whole lot of sense to me because I, I come to understand that you just can't bypass your psychological stuff, if you will. Right? It has to be addressed and dealt with. So... He had his methodologies for doing that, and they were basically using using metaphor and guiding people with metaphor through metaphor to deal with their their fears. I learned some of those processes and played with them for a little while, but I never really felt um, um, like they got fully to the bottom. They were helpful to some degree, but never got to the bottom of things. And also, um, at the same time, I had gotten involved with an organization in Boston that taught metaphysical principles to support people in creating more effectively the things they wanted to create in their lives. 
it's it had a, a three three letter initial uh, behind it. It's called DMA, uh, which stands for don't mean anything. No, <laughs> but um, <laughs> oh, actually, it, it had a different it had a different uh, uh, name, and the um, the founder didn't like the name. It was called the Dimensional Mind Approach. He didn't like that name, so he he scuttled the name but kept the initials. So anyway, that's that. that I was teaching that program around the country, but Robert Fritz, who was the founder of of, of the organization, was um, very much interested in the creative process. He was a uh, clarinet player with the Dave Brubeck uh, Quartet for a number of years. Oh, really? And. Yes, you know, he was a very, very accomplished musician, and but he got really focused on the whole creative process, and um, and developed a, a, a really wonderful understanding of the there being a structural element to how we create what we create, and that impacted me um, greatly. That's why I come up with that name, restructuring. Because I do believe that there are, you know, the, when, when we create habits or patterns, um, and those patterns don't serve us, um, there's a structure to them that that continues to inform the mind uh, in the same way over and over again. That's why we repeat these things in the same way we do over and over and over again. So my th- my I, I had I postulated this theory at the time. And the theory was this. If we create something, we ought to be able to uncreate it as long as we knew how we created it. So that was my that was the theory I was under and I, I was looking at various things to support me and helping to get to that place and helping people get to that place so that they could undo things. And and I wanted to undo my own stuff too, you know, that was in my way. So <clears throat> The um, the piece that came together for me, well, I have to also add to it the underlying psychology and philosophy behind a lot of my thinking came from um, the uh, the 19th century mystic, I'll call him a mystic uh, and philosopher to me, Andrew Jackson Davis, who was also the philosophical father of modern spiritualism, but in the third volume of his Harmonial Philosophy, he writes in a very detailed manner, to me, the most modern and the most sensible understanding of the human mind that that I have come across anywhere. And um, so he even talks about prenatal psychology in it and understanding the mind from the the const from a, a perceptual construct you know that, that, that we're all about what we perceived and how we perceive it and then we grow and develop uh insofar as we're able to perceive new and expanded levels of awareness and he talks he talks about how he did that himself and what those stages of of perceptual awareness are but to me that like that 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 was part of the psychological underpinning that was my background in in seeking to understand um, the phenomena of why we keep doing the things we don't want to be doing. So anyway, um, 
while I was doing all this research, there was a chiropractor and his wife who came to Boston. Uh, that's where I was at the time. And he, they did a, a, a seminar, a, a weekend seminar called Releasing. And they were very, very intuitive. And one of the things they would do during the course of the workshop, somebody would raise their hand and say, you know, I'm having this discomfort or this pain in my right shoulder. They'd look at, at the person and say, release hate for your mother in ancient Afghanistan. And the person would, would do that, and all of a sudden they feel as though something relieved, you know, in their shoulder. And they did this throughout the weekend. And one of the things that I noticed is that a couple of times when it was done for me, um, I felt some immediate twinge and shift, but it would come back later. And the, the, there was a, a particular time when they asked me to let go of something that I had full conscious awareness of and had something to do with my father. And when I let go of that, I felt like an internal realignment. It was like a major shift. Then I knew I had the understanding of how to how to support people in getting to the bottom of things. And that was very simple. Make new choices in the presence of, of the original trauma. So the original trauma, let's say you have, uh, somebody has an issue around, um, around relationships, for example, and every time they attempt to be in a relationship, they find themselves being betrayed or abandoned or mistreated, right? And the root of that kind of um, reaction that they would bring into their life always comes from a powerful experience, a trauma from the past, where the same kind of thing happened. But what happens when, that, when, when the person is able to be present with the original trauma, which is usually much worse than anything they've experienced in this life, um, it often, often ends in them dying. So they, once they're present with that, they let go of all of the emotional pieces connected to it, and they let go of the physiology associated to it. So, for instance, you know, uh, you, your, pers- your uh, lover betrayed you, and the betrayal led to you, you being killed. So there's all kinds of um, um, physical connections to how you died. So when people let go of all of that stuff, and they let go of um, decisions they made about it and promises they made as a result of it never to be involved in intimate relationships again for fear that they'll only be um, betrayed, et cetera, et cetera. When all that stuff is cleared, then people are free to have relationships without the baggage. So that's the background for um, the restructuring work. And for me, it's been an incredible, an incredible experience over the last, uh, well, I, I came, I, I put the pieces together back in about 1981. So it's been some time that I've been doing it. And each time that I do a session with people, there's a, a kind of a magic with it. You know, I that the solid month before, I put the pieces together to actually um, do the sessions as I do them now. Uh, it 
I, I pray to be a vehicle of grace. And it really feels like grace every time it happens, every time I work, work with somebody and they get back to a, a trauma and they're free from it. It no longer runs their lives. That's, uh, that's, that's powerful transformation and it's a, it's a blessing to be around it. And people, the beautiful part about doing this work is people empower themselves. And I tie this in with all kinds of healing for, cause, because for me, all healing ultimately is self-healing. I don't believe that there's any magic in the healer's hands. I don't believe there's any magic in, you know, <laughs> in, in, in what I do uh, per se, other than there's magic in them and people making the right decisions and coming back to balance. That's where the magic is. Is it sort of like... Um... Former lives, Tom, that they're working through. Well, they can be former lives, or it can be um, it can be uh, uh, trauma from childhood. It, it, okay. it runs the gamut. I, I in a lot of a lot of people I work with, it's past lives, but okay. all, just as many people, it's um, it's pretty some pretty nasty experiences they they had as children. Oh, okay. I was just trying to understand that for myself. That's why I well, that because for me, my guidance to them is as I'm working with them in the regression to get back to the source right. mm-hmm. is to get to the source of where the issue was born in their history. That makes so, perfect sense. Right. And so they're, they're, um, I trust the soul implicitly. Their soul guides them to where they need to go. I agree. I, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Yes, I agree. Um, and I I do want you to talk, give us a little background on Andrew Jackson Davis, because a lot of our listeners don't really know who he is or what he did, and, and you're the man to tell them that. Sure, sure. Yeah, Andrew Jackson Davis, to me, is one of the ex- most extraordinary mystics in all of history. And I did a, you know, a, and I talked earlier how it was, I had this curiosity about uh, paranormal, but also about, uh, mystics and saints, and I did some reading, significant reading on it in my teens and early 20s. Uh, but when I started to read Davis, some of the things I found, w- w- one of the things that kept me um, continuing to, to research him and read him was how grounded he was. The, his his teaching was not airy-fairy. It was all very, um, very much oriented toward living a better, more thorough life here, as opposed to, you know, hoping that it's all going to be better in heaven, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, the separate, the sense of separation um, between one's spiritual nature and one's physical nature was is not there in Davis. Davis is a very integrated and unified spiritual teacher from, from my perspective. And to some degree, I would say that he's probably more similar to some of the great Eastern teachers, somebody like a Lao Tzu or, or um, the Taoist perspective. But anyway, what happened was a, a, a spiritualist minister friend of mine, uh, Reverend Ann Gaiman, had told me about Davis, and, and she lent me a, a, a book. 
And I started reading it, and I just couldn't put it down. And from then on, I I was hooked. So a little bit about Davis's background. I'll, I'll go into that now. Okay. When he was um, he was dirt poor for uh, for one thing, and he grew up in upstate New York. His nickname was one of his nicknames was the Poughkeepsie Seer. So it was around the area of Poughkeepsie, but Blooming Grove was the town he was actually born in, and there's hardly anything there even to this day. And he was born to uh, dirt poor circumstances. His father was a shoemaker. Um, uh, his mother uneducated, both uneducated, and his father was an alcoholic. They moved uh, a, a good number of times when he was young, and always to a, a, a worse circumstance than the previous place they lived. And um, he was uneducated until he was about 17. So he had maybe, as he claims, about three months of formal education in, in, in any one of the public schools that, that he was near. And he also describes himself as a bad student, even when he was in school. But he became interested at the age of 17 in mesmerism. At the time, uh, there were practitioners in, in the northeast of, uh, of the U.S. That would, um, that would travel around and do uh, uh, mesmeric demonstrations. Now, what these demonstrations were like was the operator, as he was called, would do hand passes around a subject. And these hand passes would take place for up to 45 minutes. And people would experience a sense of becoming calm and, and peaceful and some experience some kind of spontaneous healing. So it essentially was a a healing modality even in its in the early days we and when we hear the t- term mesmer and mesmerism today we think of hypnotism but that's not real, what the initial intent was when they were when they were practicing it however there were some subjects that would go into um light trance states and some of them went into even deeper trance states and this happened for davis on the third occasion that um, he played with it. He, so he went into a full trance, and it was discovered that he could do medical clairvoyance, just like Edgar Casey a hundred years later. And he would correctly, using medical terminology, diagnose and prescribe cures for people. Well, his operator thought this is something that was too valuable to pass up and helpful. So he he worked with Davis um, for the next year and a half uh, on a daily basis, doing these medical clairvoyance um, Plump, can uh, trances for what, people. Can you explain what medical clairvoyance is? Some people might not know what that is. Well, yeah. Well, I think most people would be familiar with Edgar Casey, and and he, known as the Sleeping Prophet, what he would do is he would go into um, he'd have somebody um, hypnotize him. He'd go into these trance states, and then they would just ask him questions. And the same thing happened for Davis. They would ask questions about a particular individual, and he would just uh, diagnose and uh, using medical terminology, even though he was as ignorant at, at, 
this is what Arthur Conan Doyle, as ignorant a boy as could be found in in the state of New York, <laughs> um, he would accurately um, uh, prescribe uh, cures as well. So he did that, and that, and that became almost his job for the for like a year and a half. And after about that period, when he was under a, a trance for medical clairvoyance, he was. They were given the direction to put together a group of people in New York City uh, um, to sit on a regular basis, and I'd like to, I think twice a week, um, for a series of trance lectures, so that he would be put into trance, and um, a lecture would would uh, come forth. And these lectures were eventually compiled after about a year, year and a half, into a book called Nature's Divine Revelation, A Message to Mankind. And what this was, was a new cosmology. And it was an effort to bring together all of the the amazing scientific discoveries that were being made in the 19th century with spirituality something that had never really been done before. Uh, and an and, and explanation of, of God through science, if you will. Now, what was particularly profound about these lectures is the level of accuracy and the data that was in them. It wasn't just, you know, airy-fairy about, oh, wonderful, you know, the light and the love of God and all that. He described the Big Bang Theory, uh, he described uh, the surfaces of the planets in the solar system, including two planets that hadn't even been discovered yet, and with such accuracy that much of mu- much of what he talked about was later verified by space probes 100, 150 years later. So it, 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 it's there. There's this amazing. Um, uh, groundedness about what he brought through, and uh, description of of the the fundamentals um, behind our existence. I also believe that you know he was talking about a holographic model of the universe long before holographs were ever developed. This sense that. Every part of the universe is somehow connected to every other part of the universe, which is kind of what we get from that holographic understanding. And you know, it's everywhere in his in his writing. Um, later on, within about a year or so of this trance work, he had his own epiphany because he was he was growing. Um, weary and upset over the fact that all this stuff was happening through him and he was unaware of it and it bothered him and finally as he worked with he worked with his guidance and and he got um, part of this epiphany was that he no longer needed to be put into a, a trance by someone else he could access at will that high level of consciousness and at will he could get the deeper meaning behind anything he, any question he would ask or anybody else would ask and that to me and he called that the superior condition or the spiritual state of consciousness 
Now, today we bandy about these terms called uh, Akashic Records, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what Davis was doing was beyond anything I see now when people talk about Akashic Records. Um, you know, they they talk about a person's personal soul history or something like that. But he was able to give you the um, the geologic history of any spot on the planet. I mean, using geological terminology. So there was his capacity and his abilities using um, what I would call spiritual sight or spiritual insight are really unparalleled in history. That's just fascinating. That, I mean, that's the beginning. If you have, you no, have any questions about... Well, I, I, yeah. I did read where uh, Swedenborg came to him. Was that true, Tom? I thought I read that somewhere where Swedenborg came to him. Where what? Uh, Swedenborg. I'm sorry, the question Swedenborg. was... Well, well I read oh, somewhere. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swedenborg, now, there was a period when he was developing that he uh, Swedenborg was one of his guides for mm-hmm. for a brief period. Um, and he's very clear. Davis um, talks about the distinction between guides and superior condition and teachers. And the other thing he talks about, which I think is wonderful, and I think it's important for anybody involved in this work to understand, that um, we are not subservient to our guides and teachers. There, it's it's much more of a collaboration that we need to understand. They're collaborating with us as we're growing and developing on this plane of reality and helping to transform this plane of reality to a higher level of harmony. And for Davis that's the real the only the real purpose of life is to express greater degrees of harmony. And that we're inevitably moving toward that. It can't be stopped. And that's where one of the principles, you know, really most of the principles of modern spiritualism come from the philosophy of Davis. Now, they were codified later through the writings of um, Emma Harding Britton. You know, they historic. Right. You know, it seems to be the historical uh, uh, understanding of how this came. In. But Emma Harding Britton said, you know, okay, these are the basic principles. She picked them out. Um, but Davis was uh, long before that had laid out all of these fundamentals and 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 principles of life and one of them was eternal progress we're all on the upward road to greater harmony I which agree. i think is a wonderful message yeah it is so I regardless agree. of how bad things seem and the state of affairs in our world right now um, if you watch too much news, you would think it's pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> but right. even at that, we're moving inexorably toward um, toward some new state of freedom and balance and harmony. And sometimes you have a, you know, there, there's something that comes along the way that we have to deal with um, to be able to move to that next level. And that's what we're dealing with now. Correct. Now, we do have a caller, so I'm going to take this call, so we'll see what they will have to ask you, Tom. Sure. Good evening, Truth Seeker. May we have a name, please? 
Me? Yes, you're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, oh hello. My name's Eileen. And um, I was listening to you talk about your, you know, this is sad. Yeah. I've just forgotten the name of what you call it. Oh, restructuring. You mean Thank the, you very the, much. the counseling work? Yeah. Right. And when you said that some of it, some of the distress people say, uh, suffer could yeah. be from past life experience. Mm-hmm. And some of it could be from present life experience. That's right. I, I was wondering if some of the past life experience could be association through this. Now, I probably will not use all the correct terms, so just try and follow me. I've always been taught that the subconscious mind contains Mm -hmm. all experiences of all life from the very beginning, whatever that was. Our separation from God, let's call it that. Okay. And then we have the ability or could have the ability if we reach proper mental and spiritual levels to draw on all that. However, in a present life form, is it possible that we could associate some things or resonate with some negative things in the subconscious mind and make them more active and therefore not necessarily be a past life experience, but a present life association? Well, you know what? I'm not hard and fast about exactly what the meaning is. All I can tell you is that when people do what I would call them ingressions rather than regressions sometimes, when people do a regression or an ingression to the source of their issue and what they're frustrated with, um, it frequently appears to them as a past life. I am not committed to saying it exactly is a past life, but what I do know is that when they address that stuff um, and they come to a place where where they're neutral about it, and, and actually even more than where they're empowered in the face of it, it no longer okay. has power over them. And that's, to me, what matters more than anything. So it can be, sometimes it is, um, you know, a a traumatic experience from childhood, but very frequently it's what appears to be a past life. And, you know, there is no true science to be able to say, okay, we know exactly what it is. I don't know what it is. Um, and I'm not going to claim that I'm, you know, I, I know exactly. But I do know that doing the work this way can be very, very helpful and successful um, in, in supporting people in moving past the stuff. Oh, I'm all for whatever works. Yeah, really. I was a lot of different here, theories, you know? <laughs> you know. There's so many different theories about consciousness. Um, for instance, you know, one of the things that to me is about what, what we're here to do ultimately is integrate various levels of our consciousness and one of the reasons that we get sort of separated from this, let's call it this, these, these old traumas or the past life experiences or even childhood traumas, mm-hmm. is that we, we look at it from 
only a mental perspective, and we're not fully in, engaged with it enough to be able to recognize, oh, this is what it's all about um, multidimensionally. And we are multidimensional beings. And I think yes, what we're yeah. headed toward is to be more um, cognizant on, on at the same time uh, all the dimensions that we're uh, part of us as a, as a physical on. human being. Yeah, as a physical human being. And one of the right. biggest problems spiritually, I think, and in any other way over the past centuries has been we've somehow created this false separation between our spiritual uh, nature and our physical nature. It, it, it's a false dichotomy. It doesn't. It's not what we are. We're, we're intended to be a an integrated spiritual human being. <laughs> that yes, includes our bodies. Go ahead. Yeah, that includes our our bodies, our our vital energy, our um, our emotions, our thought processes, our spirit, etc. All of it, all at once. Yeah, I think most of the time we embarrass ourselves as children from what we know and feel, and mm-hmm. we get embarrassed, and then the process starts. We start covering up and covering up and denying and. The next thing we know, yeah. or whatever we turn into. Yeah. Well, and also we we feel we feel powerless um, from whatever the childhood trauma might be. And as soon as you declare yourself powerless in a circumstance, um, one of the things that happens is we don't want to look at it over and over again. Now, why would you? You know, if you think you're powerless to do anything, it, it only makes you feel worse to continue looking at it. So um, mind, the mind is very obedient, so it pulls the shade down on the trauma. The problem is that we still have to live the consequences of the decisions made about it. But you don't get to know where it comes from anymore because you pull the shade down on it. <laughs> and then it takes time for you to kind of reckon with it and find, find out what you did and how you did it so that you can undo it. I I have to agree with you. I just wasn't sure whether you were hard and fast on it having to be a past life experience. Oh, not at all. And because I don't think all of them are, you know. I think. <laughs> oh no, they're not. You know, a, a good we portion make a lot of, of mistakes now. Oh, absolutely. A good portion of of the of the sessions I do with people are are childhood. Related or some are womb related. Let's call it when mm-hmm. when when the soul is coming into the womb and and parents are fighting over whether or not they want to have the kid and you know all that kind of stuff. That all that's very powerful on a on the uh, 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 on the psyche as it's uh, trying to um, get its bearings with a new body. Yeah, poor little entities in there going, don't they want me? Yeah. I thought I was called. <laughs> yeah, I know, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a very pleasant experience talking to you. Uh, and same and here. I have enjoyed this show. Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. 
Good. I'm going to give the number out again, Tom, in case somebody else would like to call. The number to call Why, is sure. 657-383-0416. And if you have any questions or comments for Tom, call in. Tom, I, I noticed that um, the Harmony House, can you give us a little uh, history about the Harmony House in Lilydale? And you named it in honor of Andrew Jackson Davis, I correct? I did, yeah, because, yep, yes. that's right. His philosophy, he, was, uh, uh, he labeled it himself, the harmonial philosophy. As I mentioned earlier, it was about um, all life for Davis was ultimately, uh, its function was to express greater levels of harmony. And um, so I named named the house the Harmony House after his his work, and our house was built in 1895. Uh, in its early years, it was a healing center. Uh, in fact, it was uh, there's a uh, an old photo with a sign on the on the above the front door that said uh, Temple of Health. Uh, and but it's been a guest house I think uh, since since the very beginning. It was built in 1895, so it was a little after the start of Lilydale, which was 1879. Uh, but um, yeah, it's been it was a uh, it's been a great uh, project of my wife Ellie uh, uh, and I because. When we first got it, it was um, in pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty sad state of disrepair. But uh, it's been a great project to to resurrect it and to, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. You have a dwelling. If you put a lot of love into it, you can honestly feel the house being grateful. I don't know if you've ever had that sense, Karen, about you know your own house, but I'm sure you've probably had that sense. About the church, I was just going to say that I, I, we definitely have a lot of comments about the energy in this church because we did, yeah. we do put a lot of love in the church down here. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, do you have the feeling yourself though that, that sometimes when you're in it, that the building is grateful for that love and well, that yes, attention? I, yes. Yeah. I brought the I brought the the, the building the church was a dilapidated building. It was it was going up for state auction. So I feel in my own heart that I brought the spirit back to the church, to this building. Uh, beautiful. That's really well, how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sure that the the building feels, you know, um, I was thinking about this the other day, and then people might laugh at this, but I do believe that we have, um, conscious interaction with the physical makeup of our world, right? And that there is some kind of consciousness embedded in, in things. Uh, and, and I'll bet you a lot of people out there, you know, listening, you understand that, they might understand, especially some guys might understand it around their automobiles or their trucks. <laughs> That's true. You, you spend so much time in them, and they and and they support you in in the things that you do. That that, that there's a kind of bond that gets created. Uh, I have, believe it or not, now you might laugh at this, because we have this guest house. Um, right. We're doing a lot of laundry all the time. You know the uh, mm-hmm. the, the towels and the and the linens and so on and so forth. 
Well, I have one of those senses with our, we have a washing machine that we have had for over 20 years, and it is an incredible workhorse. And I have this sense of a bond with that washing machine. I can understand Because that. it's done so much wonderful work for us. <laughs> right. And, uh, yes. And I'm going to talk about a little bit about some of the classes that you teach. Or I want you to talk about um, the, the uh, Fellowship of the Spirits. Uh, sure. You want to talk a little bit about their school? Yes. And the school is, uh, um, uh, is, is a training for spiritual, spiritualist ministers. It's a two-year program. It's, uh, it's done on weekends over the course of the two years. During the first year, there was a couple of six-day um, segments. In November, there's a there's a six-day program, and in June, there's a six-day program. And in the interim months between, there's a uh, uh, there are weekends each month. And the program is designed to support people in um, in becoming spiritualist ministers, but also in it truly just in in developing spiritually. Um, and b- being able to bring out some of their gifts so that they can be more uh, effective at um, supporting and helping others. And that's our, our students are people who have already been pretty much engaged in their lives and doing help, uh, helpful things for others, and whether they're nurses or we've had a number of doctors to the program, um, therapists, teachers, et cetera. But they want to expand upon their capacities, and um, so uh, the development takes place in in pretty much three areas: uh, meditation, mm-hmm. uh, healing, spiritual healing, and uh, and mediumship. And we have teachers, uh, a, a variety of teachers in all those areas that come and and teach on the various weekends. Uh, so that people get exposed to people who are who are really good at what they do, and they can take from them what we say, take the best and leave the rest. They can take from them that which they feel comfortable with. See, we all work a little bit differently, and I think that's one of the great beauties in life. You know, we're not all doing things exactly the same. And so we try to take account of that and support people in, um, the best way they can develop for themselves and share their gifts with others. So that's what the the, the school is about. And we're in our 30th year now. So it's uh, um, it, it's been uh, uh, a success for a long time. Uh, Mark and Elaine Thomas were the the, uh, the founders of the school. Okay. And interestingly enough, the you know, I mentioned the, the metaphysical coffee clutch that I was in at the yes. University of Buffalo. Yes. Elaine mm-hmm. Thomas was in that same coffee clutch. So Coffee? we came to Lilydale for the first time both together. <laughs> oh, my, Tom. That's, that's, you're, you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be, Tom. Hey, we have another yeah. caller, Tom, so let's see what they're sure. on the line. Good evening, Truth Seeker. May we have a first name? Jerry. Jerry, go ahead. Uh, I just wondered if um, your guest had heard of uh, something called matrix repatterning. 
uh, I went to a chiropractor, Dr. Eric Winder, and I had fibromyalgia symptoms really bad. And um, this is sort of like an energy healing, and he had me focus on uh, colors. And usually, it was, for me, it was orange. And uh, it really helped me tremendously with the pain of the fibromyalgia. And then another time, I had a small muscle spasm in my ear, and I couldn't sleep at night. It would be just pounding away and keeping me awake. And I went to him. I, I went to the doctors first, and they put me on antibiotics, and I was on them for a month, and it was fine. And then after a month, it come right back. So I went to him for that also, and in two treatments, he had that completely gone so and he he uh makes that sound like it's um he he uh compared it to like a pop can where when you have a dent in a pop can that dent will keep coming popping back out and so he had he has ways with this energy healing that he can put that dent so that it doesn't pop back out and that seemed to work for me i don't know if it was just the mental thing but it worked physically for me that's great you know, you know what? I'm in favor. I'm very um, pragmatic about these things. Anything that works, I I encourage people to uh, <laughs> keep at it and do do what do what works for you. Um, that's what's most important. And and in a sense, so what what you did you did, and it, this is um, part of that self healing as I talk about. You right. realized that there was some place you could go where things were, were working better. Yes. And you, you go back to that. Exactly. You know? Right, mm-hmm. which is great. Yes. And so, I mean, so, and the, the mind and the body do interconnect. So, there, I mean, there could yes. have been some, some uh, emotional trauma or something like that that, that that was the cause, but because of what he did uh, helped me physically, but it also helped spiritually possibly as well. I think that anything that um, leads to some any kind of healing success, success happens on a lot of levels. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So if you had you had success with that healing, it, it, I'm sure it integrated on a number of levels. But, or or it wouldn't have. About, what you're talking about tonight? The matrix. Really it wouldn't have sustained if it didn't. If it weren't on a number number of levels. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, there's a, I, I do believe this that there's there's that we are in a in a place right now in in the history of the planet and of humankind where um we're going to be discovering a lot of different ways uh to um to correct things and to bring things back to uh normal or harmony because because yeah. it's what we call uh, sometimes called healing crisis. Well, the planet's in a healing crisis, <laughs> mm. and so when you're in a healing crisis, it always feels pretty icky, right? Yes. But yes. it's on what you experience with the Matrix is that that it doesn't have to be that long or hard, and all of a sudden, what what was a problem isn't even there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be discovering things like that for for our whole species, I believe, with, and and at a rapid pace over the next, you know, fifteen twenty years. It'll be interesting. Out of the box healing, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> but, um, oh yes. Right now, I'm having trouble with. Um, I'm trying to learn the harp, and um, I feel like I have a blockage that's 
that something is stopping me from focusing or something to uh, I mean I take lessons and I and I practice and then when I try to play a song it will fall apart and I just wonder what I should try to to clear that uh, how, well how long have you, how long have you been doing it Actually, I've been taking lessons off and on over the last six or seven years, so I should uh-huh. be able to play a little better, I think, than what I do. It's very difficult. Sometimes, you know, when when you're doing, uh, particularly integrating some some new knowledge, and, and essentially it's it's knowledge and skill that you're dealing with. Yes. Um, it, it's. There's almost a um, a threshold, and once you get over the threshold, it all starts to it all starts to come together. So it's just I just got to wait to get over that threshold. <laughs> I do yeah. have patience, but well, that's uh, a good is, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is aggravating. I mean, you put that practice in, and then you like. Well, I just really want to play at church. <laughs> and oh, then, sure. Yeah, so it's not like I really want to, um, but but it just. I practice at home, and then I get at church, and then it's like I never played the harp before. <laughs> but I also started the harp as a healing process for me too. So maybe it's just. Um, so, so what about so? So the question then would be, um, do you have um, do we have issues about doing things in public? Yeah, that's probably more like it. Yeah, and so that's where the. That's where the hang-up is likely to be, not not in your skill, but in mm-hmm. in having to do something, performing in public and being in front of public and something, um, some trauma from, from the past mm-hmm. is interfering. Hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one of the... the, the the easy, the easiest thing that I can think of in, in doing is when you when you think about it, um, and um, look back on a circumstance or a situation where things seemed to fall apart when you were attempting to do something in public, and it wasn't to your satisfaction. Uh, look at the, what you went through emotionally with that, mm-hmm. and notice where your body's uncomfortable around those emotions too. Because hmm. you're, you're, if you let yourself sink into that, you'll have a deeper understanding of what what lies behind it. Hmm. Okay, that's something to think okay. about. Yeah. All well, right. And well, actually, not too much thinking. I don't want you to do too much thinking. I want you to be, actually do more feeling, like feeling, feeling the stuff that's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then then you'll understand more. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I thank you very much for your advice. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for it was calling. Nice chatting with you. Thank you. Good night. Good, Good night. night. Well, I I guess um, I'm fascinated with uh, <clears throat> when you take some people to Niagara Falls because I wanted to do that workshop myself. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I, the, 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 you know, I, I sort of mentioned earlier about the, that sense of being connected to the physical world and um, knowing that there's a, um, for me, everything in existence has some kind of consciousness to it. And when you think of something like Niagara Falls, Niagara Falls 
uh, when people go there, um, you cannot go there without being impressed by certainly the physical power of it. But there's something deeper and more profound that happens, at least from my perspective. And many years ago when I was there, I, um, I was standing on that tower that was built by Rockefeller, looking back at the falls, and I sought to connect with what I presumed to be the spirit of the falls. And I opened myself up to it, and I, I put myself in my heart, my attention in my heart. And as soon as I did that, I, I just felt this you know, increase. My, it's like my heart was on fire and almost pushed me back a, a foot or so. And it was like she was saying, you rang. And, um, and then I just felt like I, I had <coughs> began... Uh, a relationship with this spiritual essence, if you will, of the falls. And um, it's been wonderful ever since. And I, when I go there, I, I open up to be in harmony and to experience whatever healing um, I can from, from just being in her presence. And one of the things I got the sense of with her was that her spiritual aura, if you will, uh, extends 150 to 200 miles in all directions from the falls. So there's a lot of power with that, as long as we, long as we are willing to link to it, to open up to her presence, um, she'll support us. Just like anything in nature will support you if you open up to it. So. When I do workshops there uh, with spiritual healing, one of the things we seek to do is to connect with her spiritual power um, and to accept its support in our healing. Did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Now I have another one. Um, okay. What, what, what one factor drew you to making your home in Lilydale? Oh, interesting. I, I probably the healing temple above all, and um, the house actually bought me. I was walking down North Street, which is this. Um, our house is on the corner of North and Cleveland Avenue in Lilydale, and this was in the um, early summer of '92. And at the time, the house was for sale. But I'm walking down the street, and nothing on my mind about buying property at all, because I didn't have any money to buy property at the time. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice. <clears throat> Spirit says to me, this is going to be your house. Well, my immediate response was, yeah, with what? And then I had to stop myself. I go, okay, <clears throat> how do I know unless I investigate? So I did, you know, I did due diligence on that part, and I... Um, I got in touch with the owner and had a conversation with her, knowing that the house was for sale. And in the conversation, I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I can offer you a, a $6,000 down payment that I can give you in um, in September. Now, I had no idea where that 6000 was coming from, by the way. I don't know even know why I picked that as a figure. But lo and behold... Um, I spoke to a few different people, and a friend of mine gets gets to me who I didn't even tell about it. She heard about it through someone else, through the grapevine. Um, and so she um, 
she calls me and says, <clears throat> listen, um, I have money in a CD, and I'm willing to lend that to you for your down payment if um, if you pay me back in mortgage rate because her CD was only paying her like 2% interest, and mortgage rate at the time was about 8, 8.5% interest. So I said, oh, sure. And guess what the the amount was? $6,000. Wow. So I had, the, I had the down payment. I had the house. So I had it the house. It was meant to be. Yeah. It was meant, it to, was be. meant to be. Yeah. It was. It was really meant to be. It's a wonderful yep. house because I've stayed yep. there many times. has incredible energy. And I just can't. That porch is amazing. You could just sit out there. Yeah. Oh. Well, my wife's put a lot of love into it. We both put a lot of love into it, and uh, and it's it's given the love back. You know, as we mentioned earlier, you know, you can kind of feel, you can feel the house appreciating what's been done for it. You know. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's I how we ended I mean, up uh, being here with the know? house. And, and yeah. Yeah. But the house, you were drawn to the house. It, like you said, the house grabbed you. Yeah. Now, I was living in Lilydale before that, and I had become a um, pretty much a permanent resident of Lilydale back in about 87. And it was 92 when, when I got that input about getting the house, so I'm really anchoring myself here. Okay. And I wasn't sure that I was really anchored here until then. So that's why I told that story. Yeah. That's a good story. Well, yeah. you were meant to be there. Yeah. Um, when we talked about spiritual healing, some people, they want to get into spiritual healing, and you have a few classes here that I've seen. What would you recommend they take first? Well, take a, a spiritual insight training. Um, that That's very good. Um uh, there are some wonderful people teaching in Lilydale. Barbara Sanson, who is the chairperson of the Healing Temple, any class that she teaches would be wonderful. Um, I, I do a number of different classes on healing. The, I do one in the summer, which is a week-long intensive at the Healing Temple called Healing Mastery. And uh, anybody who's really serious about it, boy, I, I would highly recommend that class. I get a lot out of it every time because it it's taught in the temple, so you have that benefit of the the energy of the temple in which to study, which is unlike any any healing venue that I know of, uh, in at least in North America. It's a it's a it's a powerful place to um, to experience and learn spiritual healing. So that would be that would be number one, and then again, like I say. Anything that Barbara Sanson does uh, is a is also a wonderful place to start if you if it's if you haven't um, oh even if you have experience with other things and 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 the healing mastery that uh, those two I uh, um, I would put up front. Okay. Because now I also do special you know some mm-hmm. specialty healing classes. Um, that are are designed one one is designed just for using your voice for healing and projecting healing tones. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah. And another one working with elementals and doing elemental detox and that kind of stuff. 
You want to talk about that a little bit, the elementals, in case people are wondering? Yeah, I, 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 I kind of alluded to it a little bit in some of the things I've been talking about, but it would be that every, mm-hmm. everything in existence has some measure of consciousness associated with it. And the same is true with the body. The same is true for every organ in the body. And as we start to engage more deeply in healing, um, you start to learn and feel some of the consciousness. Let's say someone's got um, a kidney problem. You can actually get more um, conscious and aware of the person's kidneys and what they're going through very specifically. And not only, it's really not so much important what they're going through as to what the optimal state of kidney health is. And you can encourage that very specifically. And there's rhythms to it. And there's there's flows of energy. And you start to get be, become more attentive to those things. You also become more attentive to the things that are, um, let's say, poisonous or toxic to the system. And you can invite that stuff out of a person. And I say invite because I think it's very important um he- healing um is really about um doing away with conflict ending ending conflict and you anything you do that supports the um the resolution or the end of conflict supports healing so for me if i'm detoxifying somebody I will just invite the stuff out and say, your job's over. You've done a good job. It's over. Not that um, not that there's some nasty gunk in somebody that needs to be removed. Somehow that stuff got invited in. And so all I need to do is invite it out and encourage, um, um, you know, the body to to return and restore itself to balance. So anyway... That's a bit of my approach to it, but okay. there's there's more to it. I mean, it's, it's about teaching people how to become more sensitive on that level and work with tools to um, support um, detox from a number of things. For instance, one of the things I work with people a lot is um, the side effects from chemotherapy and also the long-term side effects from um, uh, an, a surgical anesthetic. Now, surgical anesthetics can hang around people for 40 to 50 years and still kind of impact um, their body and their life energy. And when that stuff is is allowed to be released, um, people can really feel a realignment. Tom, do you do private sessions with people that have those conditions? Sure, sure, yeah. Because, I do. I do the know, private sessions. Sure and predominantly mm-hmm. what I do, and the restructuring work, I, I also do over the phone with people. That's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just, it works as well over the phone as in person. Well, that's interesting. <coughs> yeah. Um, I like that about uh, the anesthesia. That can cause some problems. Yeah. And any of this stuff, if, if people are curious, they go to my website, TomCrasley.com. You'll find, you know, little bits and pieces of all this stuff there. And <coughs> my phone number's there. Good. Um, yeah. So. 
and we also play some of your CDs because I do um, meditation every Tuesday evening here at the church at seven o'clock, and we do. I have played your CDs for meditation as well. Oh, good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been fun to uh, fun to produce. I have uh, a good friend of mine is a <clears throat> a musician and songwriter in Stratford, Ontario, but he's also a healer. Does his own healing work. And he he has done the music and the production of the of the CDs for me. Very talented guy. Rob Gordon wow. is his name. Okay. Well, well, uh, we have one last question here, and okay. I always like to ask this because this is uh, for you, Tom. Who has been an inspiration to you on this wonderful journey you have embarked on? Oh wow. Trying to think of you know living people. There's been a number of them. You know, you know my my wife is a very powerful inspiration for me. She's always has been. Um, and um, in terms of the, the you know, people alive, uh, I have to say in terms in Lilydale too, uh, uh, a man by the uh, 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 actually I just uh, uh, visited him uh, uh, in Canada, John Goldsby. And John Goldsby is a, was a medium here uh, for many, many years. He's now in his about 94, I think. He's in his ni- mid-90s. Uh, was an amazing, and still is an amazing medium, but he doesn't work publicly much anymore at his age. But uh, I just loved the way he worked and how he brought a sense of humor to what he was doing. And the, it was never at the expense of people getting the messages most of the time it was at his own expense uh and he got he engaged people in uh in the work in working with 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 spirit in a way that is pretty rare so he was a big influence on me uh i get you know there's so many it's hard you know there's the there, uh, i i'm constantly looking to um, be impressed by people, and as a result, I'm being impressed by people a lot in my life. So I don't. Um, there aren't, um, you know, a lot of people who who stand out uh, because I'm impressed by a lot of people. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Well. But those people, like those it. two, I, I told you, are very powerful. And, and you know, I, I mentioned, um, you know, when I was talking about restructuring, of course, the Andrew Jackson Davis is is number one in terms of, he, he's, though he's not alive, <coughs> I feel as though um, he's someone who has deeply and profoundly influenced my life as much as anybody I've I've ever met. Well, you know, you do carry on his his works in, in some way, Tom. Yeah. You do. You really do. Well, I, I it's nice to be able to uh to to share some of what um what I was inspired with. And so so uh, thanks for the opportunity, um Karen, and uh, Thank you. And yeah, before and I I say good night, I I must say that you and your wife have been a great inspiration to me at times too as well. Well, thank you. And 
all the best to you and um, all your church members there. You know, um, I'm sure you're doing uh, just a, a fantastic job. Because I, even though I haven't been there, I just kind of feel it. You know, you know. Well, when you're gonna you, have to come down bring, here. Yeah, you're gonna have to come down here. Well. Well. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Well, good night, my good friend. Good night, Karen. All right. Take care. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Our next show will be on November 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guest will be Tina Zeon. Tina is a fourth-generation psychic medium specializing in medical intuition and teaching it internationally. So mark your calendars for November 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you. And until we meet again, may you be the light that helps others see.